This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. where we speak to women of influence and leadership. The inclusion of women ministers in cabinet is vital in redistributing political power and increasing participation. However, increasing the number of women ministers is insufficient. The type of portfolios also matters. In Malaysia, following the 14th general election, the number of women ministers almost doubled. This increase survived government turnovers between 2020 and 2022 and the 15th general election. All these facts and figures were from this particular paper. Mahat Balakrishnan, Parliamentary Consultant and Research Fellow for the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network, Asia Headquarters and Sunway University, did this paper entitled The Only Way is Up, Proportions and Portfolios for Women in Cabinet 2008 and 2023. Hi, Maha. I've got to start with uh, what led you to do this? Hi, Frida. Well, you know, the low number of women in political positions in Malaysia, it's a perennial issue. Women are underrepresented at all levels of political decision making, whether it's in parliament, whether it's in the executive branch, which means, you know, cabinet. But even at state level, so state legislative assemblies and state governments, and also we have found at the civil service level as well. So, of course, this is a global issue. Yeah, this is an issue that we're facing across the world. But what we found also and the gender gap index shows this is that Malaysia is increasingly falling behind its peers. And whether that's from a regional perspective or even if you look at the age of our democracy, yeah, Mm. and we do a comparison with other countries across the world, our progress is actually a regression when it comes to political participation. But when it comes to discussing what are the solutions, Right When it comes to discussing what are the causes and indicators, this is where we see a bit of a silo I found. When the discussion focuses on Malaysia, both local politicians as well as to a large extent local academics tend to focus on the low numbers of MPs the low numbers of candidates. There isn't so much focus on the number of ministers in cabinet. And I thought that this was important to look into because while getting women into parliament is vital, I think we lose sight of the fact that that is only a means to an end. It is not the end in itself because the end goal is to redistribute political power. It is to ensure that women are in positions of political decision making. And where does that take place in Malaysia? Where does that take place in a parliamentary democracy? It still takes place in cabinet. It still takes place through the holding and the allocation of cabinet portfolios. So because of this, I decided to focus on charting the changes in female representation on Malaysian cabinets from the period 2008 to 2023. And we found some very interesting findings from that, uh, and I'm happy to share that with you. Shall we go into that now? Yeah, there's lots to unpack. I know we can't cover it all, but, you know, just something you said about us falling behind. And I think like even within the region, we're, we're not doing so well. I'll go through that in just a moment. So in terms of coming up with this with this paper, how long did it take for you to do this and the, the particular angles that you were looking at when you started doing this? 
So I wrote this paper for a very particular journal, which is released every time we have an election. Mm. So it's called the Roundtable, and it focuses on what has changed between one election and the next in Malaysia. And again, I was asked to look into the issue of gender participation in politics. Right. And initially, again, the idea was to look at the increase in candidates, female candidates, etc., success rate and so on. But I convincingly argued <laughs> for the focus to be on something else. So I was given, we were all given approximately four months to mm. write this paper and to do the research. Mm. And so in in planning the research, in thinking about the methodology, of course, I was restricted by time, but also by the data uh, sources that we had available to us. But really, the issue came down to measuring impact. How do we measure impact right. yeah, of having women in cabinet? So the obvious answer, of course, is to look at proportions. Okay, so how many women are there in cabinet? Mm. Has that changed over time? Has their proportion changed? In other words, percentage of men to women in cabinet, mm. has that changed over time? And so, of course, I look at that. But that's not the complete picture. Right. Yeah. Okay. And what were the key findings in the last 15 years when it comes to politics? So we found that between 2008 to 2018, so just before GE14, mm. the proportion of women in cabinet was very low. It remained below 10%. At one point, it even hit 3%. It was as low as 3%. Yeah. So so that meant for every 10 male ministers or 10 cabinet ministers, only 3%, three were female. Yeah. yeah. That is very low, much lower, as you noted, from the global average. Mm. But what we found was more alarming was when you then tried to measure the political impact, right? When you use, for example, the measure of the annual budget, how much of the annual budget was actually then being allocated to ministries with women ministers, then we found that the percentage was far lower. It was between 1% to 2% between 2008 and 2018. So this is what that means. Not only were fewer women being appointed to cabinet, but they were consistently being assigned to low budget portfolios or being given very little budget to carry out their work. Yeah. Right. Now, why is the budget important? Right. Why are budgetary resources important? Mm. Now, I think anyone in a position of in a management position or in a leadership position will understand the significance of having right. a budget. A budget underscores and underlies every single activity that we would want to conduct to make a difference, to make change. Right. And this is whether it is to implement policies, whether it is to create new programs, whether it is to fund services. Right. A budget underlies all of these different factors. So when a cabinet portfolio is given a very low budget, it essentially means that the minister's ability to implement their policy ideas, to carry out programs and therefore career progression. Right. right. Becomes limited. Okay. Now, that said, is it also because of their portfolios and they say, oh, your portfolio don't, don't need as much money? Yes, of course, there are some portfolios which are very prestigious, mm. right, which as a politician, career-wise, you would want, right, are highly sought after. Mm. For example, the home ministry or the foreign ministry, international trade, Right. So these are not large budget portfolios, but the policy areas are significant. Right. So right. we didn't simply apply 
the budget to test or to compare the portfolios that were allocated to between men and women. We also then looked at the types of portfolios that were granted, and we compared this to this international industry typology that was created by several political scientists and which we then adapted for Malaysia's perspective. And within this typology, cabinet portfolios are segregated between two different categories, the prestige level of the portfolio and also whether the portfolio is seen as soft and feminine or whether mm. it's seen as hard and masculine, right? right. Or, or whether it fell in between and was neutral. Right? right, And we found that consistently throughout different administrations, different prime ministers, women in cabinet were being allocated to low prestige and right. feminine portfolios. So you see that there was a lot of coincidence as well and overlap between low prestige and feminine portfolios with low budget portfolios. Right. right now, the portfolios that we spoke of that you mentioned, right? Yes, they may be low budget, but they are high prestige, like, you know, uh, the home ministry, foreign ministry, the economics portfolio. Yes, they are low budget, but they are considered high portfolio, sorry, high prestige and masculine portfolios. And we have never seen a female cabinet minister holding any of these portfolios. Right. Okay. There is so much to unpack. I've got more questions for you. I'm here with Maha Balakrishnan talking about the paper, The Only Way is Proportions and Portfolios for Women in Cabinet 2008-2023. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. Behold Freedom, Malaysia, BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Good morning, this is Frida Liu. If you've just joined us, this is Her Vantage, where we speak to women of influence and leadership. I'm here with Maha Balakrishnan, Parliamentary Consultant and Research Fellow for the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network, Asia Headquarters and Sunway University. We're talking about the paper entitled The Only Way is Our Proportions and Portfolios for Women in Cabinet 2008 and 2023. And it says we've doubled, but we've not doubled from a high base. That's a challenge there. Now, another thing that I scanned through the paper was as of January 2023, on average, women represent 22.8% of ministry-level portfolios in cabinet. In only 13 countries, do women hold 50% or more such portfolios? So still not fair on a global scale. In the World Economic Forum's 2021 Global Gender Gap Index, Malaysia ranked 112 out of 156 countries with an overall score of 0.676, placing in the bottom 30% of countries globally and at the bottom in Southeast Asia. So it's not good anyhow you look at it. Is this just for politics or are we talking about women in general? Well, the Global Gender Gap Index actually uses four different metrics. And the figure that you quoted, the score of 0.676% is actually an average of these four metrics. So what are the four metrics? Number one, female educational attainment. Number two, female health and survival. Number three, female economic participation and opportunity. And the fourth is female political empowerment. So every country is scored on each of these four different metrics. And then there is an overall average that's taken from it. So now while Malaysia's 2021 average was 0.676, 
if you look at the breakdown, I think that's where we see some interesting discrepancies and disparities. So Malaysia's score for educational attainment for 2021 was 0.994, so almost achieving parity. Malaysia's score for health and survival was 0.972, also close to parity. Now, for economic participation and opportunity, the score was 0.638, over half, over 0.5, yeah? Still a long way to go. But on political participation, the score was 0.102. So what does that mean? That means that in Malaysia, men are 10 times more politically empowered than women. And it actually gets worse because while on these other three metrics, education, health, and the economy, we have actually seen Malaysia make some progress, albeit very slow progress. They have made some progress over the years since this gender gaps gap index was first created. For political participation, Malaysia has made no progress. They have remained right. stagnant. This is yeah. why this issue is critical. Right. Okay. Now, and this is not something in your study, but just your thoughts as well, right? And we talk about the 30%, right? I mean, it'd be great. Or obviously more, right? The lack of women participation in politics, is it a chicken-egg situation from your perspective, I guess, from doing this study? Why are there just less women taking part in politics? Or are they just not given the opportunity, is my question. I think in terms of comparing the participation of women in politics in Malaysia versus their participation in the economy, access to education and health. I think the mere fact that we've seen some progress in these other three dimensions and not in political participation indicates to me that we really need to look at this far more closely. We need a more nuanced examination of what the impediments are to political equality. And we need to find tailored solutions. I think what we can point to very clearly is this, that The political decision-making power, the structure of our principal political institutions, they remain overwhelmingly in the hands of men. But more so than that, I think we see that patriarchy is deeply entrenched in the mindset, in the mindset Mm. of political parties and in the mindset of the political elite. Again, we can see this in party structures, political party Mm. structures. Yeah, so political party leadership is typically male-dominated. And there are barriers within it that just prevent women from rising up in the ranks. So, for example, women, they are categorized as field workers in most political Mm. parties. You know, they're tasked with the job of reaching out to the ground, right, to win votes, not so much to make decisions, not so much to sit in the meeting rooms at 2 a.m. at night and make the major decisions around the electoral manifesto, for example. And this is one of the major issues. The other issue, of course, is mindset and the cultural mindset, which we still haven't succeeded in overcoming. And I think we've gone some distance, perhaps Mm. not far enough, where the economy is concerned and the place Mm. of women in the economy, the right of women to earn, right, to earn an income. We've seen progress uh, over the years, but very different when it comes to politics. The idea of women being placed in political decision-making powers is still fairly an idea that is unfamiliar to many people. And we haven't made space for this. We haven't created protected spaces where women can actually seek political office. This is something I think that in the coming years we do need to look at. 
Okay. And people will think, okay, they already have a economic participation, all that, right? What is the worry and the concern if we don't have more or equal participation of women in politics? What are the implications to a nation if we don't have parity here? I think our progress will stagnate. I think ultimately we will hit a limit on the level of female participation, even in the economy, simply because we are not bringing into policy making and into policy ideation a variety of lived experiences. Yeah. And this is what we need in within politics itself. This is what we need in parliament, but this is also what we need in cabinet. Now, what we can't run away from is that politics is a numbers game and politics and the political economy are inextricably connected. Yeah. So politicians gain prestige, mm. politicians gain reputations when they are in cabinet when they are ministers, when they are influencing policy, when they are seen to be making a change, when they are on the ground and their faces are linked with, you know, programs that are being run by the government, services that are being provided by the government. These things make a difference. They make right. an impact. Now, if women aren't in those spaces, right, if women aren't seen to be able to make political decisions, to be able to run government, then the culture, the underlying culture in the country will not change. Right. And, and what are you hoping that your paper will do to move the needle forward? What are you hoping the power be that seizes will do and act well, upon? Yeah. So I think a lot of work is already being done by various groups to increase the to try and increase the percentage of candidates that run for elections. And that needs to continue. But I think we shouldn't ignore the fact that while there is a push to increase women, the number of women that run in elections, we should have a separate conversation that is not completely linked with that first issue. And that separate conversation should be, all right, no matter what the percentage is after an election of women MPs in parliament, we should now accept and enforce a new baseline of the number of cabinet ministers or the proportion of female cabinet ministers in cabinet. So we've seen now since 2018 that the number of cabinet ministers uh, who are female have been five consistently in mm. each of the different cabinets. That could be a new benchmark, but certainly it needs to go higher. And the reason that we need to hit this new benchmark or to maintain this new benchmark is that once you hit a particular threshold, what we will see is that more women will be given portfolios that are not simply low prestige and feminine. We will see women in high prestige portfolios mm. and that will have a positive impact in terms of the changing mindsets right? Showing that women are capable, but also then of encouraging more women to participate in politics. Right. I hope things do move forward. Uh, thank you for spending time with us. Maha Balakrishnan, Parliamentary Consultant and Research Fellow for the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network, Asia Headquarters and Sunbury University, talking about her paper, The Only Way is Up, Proportions and Portfolios for Women in Cabinet 2008-2023. I'm Frida Liu and you've been listening to Her Vantage BFF 89.9.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app. 